0: Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10 a.m. service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us and check out our website at mpbc.org.au. Shalom, dear friends. Our Bible reading today is taken from Matthew's Gospel, and there are three readings from two various translations the first one is from Matthew chapter 4 18 to 22 from the American Standard Bible now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee he saw two brothers Simon who was called Peter and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen and he said to them Follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. The next reading from Matthew's gospel is taken from chapter 8 verses 18 to 22 in the New International Version. When Jesus saw the crowd around him he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake then a teacher of the law came to him and said teacher I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Our final reading from Matthew's Gospel, also from the New International Version, chapter 9, verses 9 to 13. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not become the righteous, but sinners. May the Lord uh, bless us as we heed his word.
1: Thanks Eugene for that reading. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We know that it's a light to our feet. We pray that we might be people who listen, who understand and who go and do what it says. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I have the fold back on this, turn uh, off? Please. Thanks. Okay, well, is it just me? Or are people speaking a different kind of English language today? I actually blame Oxford University Press for this. Uh, Did you know that Oxford University Press actually introduced a new word into the English language each year, into into their dictionaries? I mean, really, do we need any more new words? I don't know about you, but I think I'm still having a bit of trouble with the old ones. But Oxford University Press's word of the year for 2022 was the word "goblin mode." That's a word. Anyone know what it means? I didn't think so. That proves my point: that basically we're becoming illiterate as I speak. Twenty years from now, there'll be 20 words that you don't know. 20 more words that you don't know. Anyway, just so you don't remain ignorant in case someone slips goblin mode into a conversation with you, it's been defined by Oxford University Press as a sort of behaviour that doesn't fit the usual social norms. It depicts behaviour that is unapologetic, lazy, self-indulgent or greedy. And apparently that's what we became during lockdown during the pandemic years, in case you didn't. That's why the word exists. It's describing (laughs) these sorts of behaviours. Now, it's not new words, just new words that we struggle to understand, is it? Old ones as well. I don't know about you, but uh, there's lots of words that I use quite often (laughs) that I don't really understand very well. And Take, for instance, the word iconic. Okay, You've most likely heard this word, ironic rather, not iconic. I can't even say it. That's ironic. <laughs> Isn't it ironic? Now you probably use this word many times and apparently a lot of us, including me obviously, use it incorrectly. Many times people think that it means that uh, something bad happens, so- you use it when something bad happens. But what it actually means is uh, happening in the opposite way to what is expected and usually in a humorous way or can lead to humour. For some people, and uh, for example, this sign is ironic <laughs> okay that 's ironic that 's irony now now you might think, "Oh wow, Ian's sort of flipped a switch now he 's gone into dictionary mode he 's sort of back in Malawi, you know talking to people about words and things like that, but doesn 't he know he should be in preacher mode because he 's here standing in front of us on a Sunday morning? Well my point is that Understanding the meaning of words, the words that we use often to describe us, particularly words in the Bible, we need to understand their meaning. And it's essential for people who are working together, who are in a community together, that we actually understand what that word means. When I learned the Yao language, there were words, learning a language, you often try out words on people. You know, you hear it and then you try and use it. And uh, that's what little kids do all the time. It's okay for them. But when you're a grown adult and use a word incorrectly, it can be a bit, you know, people go, huh? <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had that experience. But for me, when, you don't, when I've not known words, incorrectly, I can, you know, when I go out for a meal or something, I can get served a whole fish with its head on rather than, one that's filleted with crumbs on. And so you can get by, can't you, with eating a whole fish on a plate with its head on. You just have to shut your eyes when those little beady eyes of those fish look at you when you cut into it. But uh, but for other things, for important things, we need to understand the meaning of those words to, to accomplish important tasks such as constructing something, treating a patient, teaching kids in school, designing a new product, we actually need to be on the same page with other people in regarding to the meaning of the words, the shared words that we use together. Otherwise, there'll be confusion and one will be going off in one direction, another in another. And so for us as a church, it's really important that we understand the words that we use often. Last week I talked about uh, us becoming an XX Church. If you weren't here last week, then I want to encourage you to get that sermon downloaded or watch it on YouTube because we're in a series on, on uh, becoming a disciple-making community and it's important that we understand together where we're going, or where we want to go rather. And so one of the things I said last week was a, a big problem for a lot of churches is they don't share the same purpose. Everyone has their own purpose to what the church is on about. But we discovered that um, the church is not what not something that we want it. It's not sort of something, we can't sort of just make the church, this community, into something we want it to be. We need to actually get the guidance for the church from Jesus, because he has his own ideas about what a flourishing community of faith is, and what the purpose of our communion is together. So today, um, there are unfortunately many churches, I think, that are XX churches, churches that where people in it have different ideas of their purpose. And uh, the reason for this, I think, is that we have different ideas about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, because that's what we're called to be as a community of faith. We're called to be disciples and disciple-makers. And so some different understandings of what a disciple is includes the following. A disciple is, people have said this, people have they've actually uh, Sort of uh, surveyed people. Uh, a disciple is someone who believes in Jesus and believes that He's the Son of God and can provide forgiveness for sin. That's that's the sole thing that they think a disciple is, or someone or other people think that a disciple is someone who's growing in their understanding of God and is who's seeking to know the Bible thoroughly. Others think that a disciple is someone who goes to church regularly and prays regularly and worships regularly. Others think that a disciple is someone who cares for the spiritually lost and invites them to church. Another Someone else says a disciple is someone who cares for the marginalised and the poor in the community, in Jesus' name. So those definitions, none of them are bad. They're all, in fact... Uh, they all have an aspect of truth to them and so people who hold those definitions love god and in, and uh, even want to be effective and want to join uh, God in his mission to the world however holding different ideas about what a disciple is can actually pull us in different directions and allow and doesn't won't allow us to understand and live out how jesus dis- Defined what it means to be a disciple. And so for us to be an effective church, a church that's flourishing, a church that's, uh, that's living out Jesus' mandate in the community in which we live and to the wider world, it's essential that we come to understand what Jesus means by being a disciple. Otherwise we'll continue to be pulled in different directions. So becoming a disciple is a big theme of Jesus' ministry um, disciples are actually what he leaves behind when he, after he's crucified and ro- risen from the dead, and what he what he leaves behind when he goes to be with his heavenly Father. He doesn't leave anything else behind, does he? <laughs> there's no money. There's no books. He hasn't written, uh, you know, an account of his life or his ten points that you should follow. He's actually left behind what? Just disciples. And so that's a really important thing for us to consider because uh, he knew that it would be through disciples that he would continue his work and ministry in the world through them. Matthew was one of, his, of Jesus' disciples and he wrote the gospel that we've heard uh, Eugene read from earlier. Now you might think, well, a guy who writes a, you know, a book about Jesus, he, he might have it all together. He must have it all together. But he wasn't always a person who could do that, you see. In fact, he wasn't always a disciple of Jesus. In fact, he wasn't always a very religious person. Matthew came to understand what Jesus was about, and especially his, that he was about making disciples through his encounter with Jesus. And so being a disciple becomes actually a major theme of Matthew's Gospel. If you read Matthew's Gospel from start to finish, you'll find that he talks a lot about discipleship and being a disciple. Matthew wanted the topic of being a disciple and discipleship front and centre in his readers' minds because he understands just how central it is to Jesus' mission in the world. And so at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, we hear how Jesus defines what a disciple is. When he calls Peter and Matthew, uh, Peter and uh, Andrew, two brothers who are in a fishing business, he says to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of people. And here in this very simple call is Jesus' definition of what it means to be a disciple, which I want to explain a bit to you this morning seems like a very simple message, doesn't it? A very simple call. But in it, Jesus is telling us his definition of being a disciple in which every person who actually wants to follow him needs to know and needs to accept. And so the first thing Jesus says is, follow me. In the case of Peter and Andrew, this is quite a physical thing. He was calling them to actually leave what they were doing. And go along with him. He wasn't just asking them to have some sort of intellectual uh, experience, some sort of intellectual experience in their in their brain, where they agree, you know, make a decision to agree with his teachings, which is often, I think, what we think it means. What Jesus meant by his call to Peter and Andrew to follow him was that they should go wherever Jesus leads them. But it wasn't just a matter of, tag, matter of tagging along. It also included orientating their lives to Jesus, to Jesus' way of life, to, to, uh, to learning from him, to uh, liking, learning to like what Jesus likes and learning to reject what Jesus rejects. And so following me, following implies being led. And I think this is one of the very hard things for, for us today, especially today, because we like to be in control of our lives and we like to be self-determined. And so Matthew knows that this is a stumbling block for, for many. It was a stumbling block for many people in his day as well, which is why uh, in the Gospel, as in one of the readings we heard, he, tell, he talks about accounts of people who were attracted to Jesus, who came to Jesus, who said they wanted to be disciples of Jesus, that they would follow him wherever he went. But who didn't in the end, who left following him when Jesus outlined what was required of them and that there was a surrender to him of everything. So if we're completely honest... We also don't want to follow Jesus either, do we? We want Jesus to follow us. We want him to fulfil our wishes. We want, him to, we want, uh, we want for him to make our plans come to fruition. And this has been a stumbling block for many wannabe disciples throughout history. But that's not what a disciple is. And the reason, it's not because Jesus is hard-hearted. It's because Jesus wants you to grow and he has a goal of you becoming mature in Christ and often the things that we want and we desire are not always the best things for us for that. We need to embrace the first part of Jesus' definition of a disciple as someone who follows him. And this ultimately means to reorientate our lives around Jesus so that he's our leader, he's our model, he's our helper. The second aspect of being a disciple is also expressed in his call to Peter and and Andrew. And so after Jesus calls Peter and Andrew to follow him, he says, and I will make you, I'll make you fishers of people. And so this phrase, I will make you, is an important phrase for want to be disciples, because it tells us that the disciple of Jesus is someone who is being made into something, is someone who's being changed by Jesus. I'll make you, is Jesus' promise to, to uh, Peter and Andrew. It's a promise. He's saying, I'll make you something. And it's also a promise to everyone who wants to follow him as his disciple, including us this morning. When Jesus says, I'll make you, he's talking about change that he's going to bring about in you. Change is therefore a key aspect of being a disciple of Jesus. We don't often think about change as being a key aspect of being a disciple of Jesus. And the, the good news about this change is it's not something that you're going to generate yourself, because that's exhausting. You don't change yourself. It's Jesus who's going to change you. And this means that being a disciple isn't then a static thing. Last week I mentioned that uh, sometimes we see ourselves as, as Christians as nouns, right? As, um, that is, we see ourselves as just people who believe something and that's it. Have certain beliefs about God and Jesus, but here Jesus is saying the disciple is someone who's being changed, they're being transformed by Jesus. And so, for far too long, we've said that all you need to do is make a a mental decision to accept Jesus as your Savior, and that's it bang, that's the end of it. (laughs) It's true that a relationship with Jesus just starts with one cry away for forgiveness, that's true. But salvation, which is what Jesus delivers us when we cry out to him, is the first part of that journey. It's only the first part of the journey, friends. And the unfortunate thing is that we've treated it like the terminal and we're still waiting there. Many of us are just waiting there. But Jesus is wanting to take us on the journey, but we're still at the station. In Romans 8.29, Paul says that the Christian life is not meant to be static. Instead, he says, instead we're meant to be conformed to the image of Jesus. He says something similar to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 3.17, he he says, and we all, okay, that's all of us, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Is that your experience this morning, friend? That's what Jesus wants for you this morning. That's what he wants for you for tomorrow and for the next day and for this week and for next month, that you are transforming into his image. And Matthew knows that change is an important part of being a disciple of Jesus more than anyone You see, for many of us, we're sort of middle class. We sort of haven't got these sort of extremes in our life. But Matthew knows that for him, change is so essential. But it's essential for us as well. Our sins are just more respectable. We can hide them. Matthew's called by Jesus to follow him while he was physically in the tax booth collecting money from people. Matthew tells us in his own words what happened. He says, I got up and followed Jesus. But that wasn't the end of the story. That was just the beginning. That was the first part of the part of the journey. His life was began from that point on to be conformed to, to the likeness of Jesus. And he went from being a dishonest tax, tax collector, someone that no one would trust, to one of the most faithful followers of Jesus. Someone who is entrusted even with the task of writing an account of Jesus' life and ministry. Can you imagine that? What a privilege that would be. I'd love that privilege. True discipleship always involves change. All, All disciples... All disciples, all of those 12 disciples who were were following Jesus, their lives were changed by Jesus. None of them remained the same. At the beginning, when they started to follow Jesus, they got easily annoyed by children, didn't they? They pushed them away. They also became annoyed when people didn't welcome them into villages. They wanted to annihilate them. That's not a good thing for a disciple to want, is it? Shall we call down fire, Jesus? I haven't heard anyone say that here yet on people passing by. That's a good thing. But sometimes it's in our hearts. The disciples were also self-obsessed. They jostled for positions of power. They bickered about which of them would be the greatest. They also thought they were fairly spiritual. But when Jesus wanted them to pray with him for one hour, they all fell asleep. They also flat out opposed Jesus' agenda because they thought they had a better idea of what they should do. And in the end, when Jesus was arrested, they deserted him and fled when they saw that it would impact their own lives. And even after his arrest, they didn't, some of them denied that they even knew Jesus. And after he had risen from the dead, most of them, Doubted that that was true, even though he'd told them about this before. But reading about Jesus' disciples in the Gospel accounts, and we, we read about that, and you should read the Gospels often. But then you should also read it together with the book of Acts, because in, when you read the book of Acts, it sounds like you're reading about two different groups of people. But we're not. We're reading about the same group of people that are being changed by Jesus. You see, they were being transformed by the Holy Spirit. They were keeping in step with the Spirit in their lives and the Spirit of God was transforming them into the likeness of Jesus. And that's what Jesus wants for all of us as well, friends. He doesn't want you to stay back there in those things that you were doing. He wants you to be transformed day by day into his likeness. And this is really important for us to hear because many of us believe that being a disciple of Jesus is primarily about having a truth encounter. And we're good at that as Baptists. We're good at that. We love the Word of God. And we love to, we love to read the Word of God. And it's important to read the Word of God. But, but often we intellectualise our faith. And we think that it all happens in here. And this is... We think often that being a disciple is just about changing one set of wrong beliefs for a right set of beliefs. But in 2 Corinthians 5, chapter 17, Paul tells the Corinthian believers that it is it's far more than that. He says, if anyone is in Christ, guess what? They're a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. Something, something's happening in us. And so the point of the change is that we're becoming like Jesus in how we think and act so that we can actually glorify God and so that we can serve God in the world. And so therefore our key, key to our definition of a disciple is that a disciple is someone who is being changed by Jesus, someone who's being changed by Jesus. And the final aspect of Jesus' definition of disciples, which is expressed in Peter and Andrew's call, Jesus says to Peter and Andrew that he'll make them fishers of people. This is obviously a play on words. You see, Peter and Andrew were fishermen. And Jesus is often fond of using illustrations. So he's standing there by their boat as they've been fishing. And he uses fishing as an example of what he wants to make them. They were not being called just to discipleship so that they... uh, so that their lives are changed, so they have some sort of experience of God themselves, which is all good and necessary. But he wants them to follow him and be changed so that they can go on and do what he's doing. So there's an invitation. He's calling them to be people who invite and call other people into his kingdom so that they too can be transformed and help other people be transformed as well. A disciple is essentially someone who gets a new purpose for living, Jesus' purpose. And so Paul reinforces that when he says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 that God makes us new in Christ so that we can join Jesus in his ministry. He says we neither make ourselves we neither, neither make or save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. And he creates each of us by Christ Jesus. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does. The good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. And so many people wonder what the purpose of life is. And so we often go through life trying to find the purpose of life in pleasure and in wealth and through achievements. But we fail to get any satisfaction through them. We get a bit, but we don't. But we need more. But God has the purpose for us already here, is to be joining Jesus in His mission to the world to bring Him glory, and this is something that's going to bring us joy and glo- and joy, great joy and satisfaction. The truth is that God has actually shaped us for His purposes. What God told the prophet Jeremiah is actually true for each one of us. Before I made you in your mother's womb, I chose you. before you were born, I set you apart for a special work. And so once you are saved, God intends you to use, to use you for His goals. In, in the past, even up and perhaps even until today, you might have thought, well, God only calls certain people to join him in his work. You might have thought, well, it's only missionaries or pastors or full time Christian workers or a select few people in our congregation. But Matthew's story shows us that God calls people no matter their background. I mean, really, how how could God use a washed up tax collector? to bring him glory. How can someone like that join Jesus in his mission to the world? But Matthew came to understand that a a disciple is not just someone who makes an intellectual decision to follow Jesus or someone who experiences forgiveness and transformation and then just remains static from that point on. He came to see that a true disciple of Jesus is someone who is joining Jesus in his mission to the world. And this is exactly what Matthew did. He used his connections and he threw a party at his house and he invited all his friends to come and meet his new friend and his Lord Jesus, the one who he was giving up his day job for, so that they could actually see Jesus and meet Jesus for themselves and so that they could see also how their own lives could actually be transformed like Matthew's was. Isn't that what we want too for our neighbors? Isn't that what we want too for our friends, for our relatives? Don't you want them to meet Jesus? Don't you want them to be changed, to be transformed? I do. Cuz people around me are broken, they're hurting, they're lost, they're lonely. And how, who's going to actually give who's going to solve that problem in their lives? I don't have the ability in myself to do it. I, I only, the only solution I know of is to introduce them to Jesus, to love them through the power of Jesus. And I believe that's the same for each of you. And this, friends, is what we need to embrace as well as disciples of Jesus. We actually all need to look for ways to join Jesus in his mission to the world. Each of us has something to do. Each of us has something to offer. It's not the same. It's not the same as what I have. But each of you has something, has some way to connect, to show love, to encourage, to invite. In some churches in other countries, when a church welcomes new believers, they say Jesus now has a new pair of eyes to see with. He has a new set of ears to listen with. He has new hands to help with, and he has a new heart to love others with. You see, that's, that's what it means to be a disciple. Jesus didn't just save you to come to church each Sunday. He didn't just save you to give money in an offering so that others could serve God each Sunday. He didn't just save you to know a few facts about the Bible so that you can know more truth about God. He has saved you so that you can become a disciple of his and so that you can become a disciple maker who serves him. And so now we've actually been through that call to Peter and Andrew and we can then put Jesus, all these attributes together and we come up with Jesus' definition of what a disciple is. And this is what it is. A disciple of Jesus is someone who is following Jesus someone who is being changed by Jesus and someone who is joining Jesus in his mission to the world. This was Matthew's experience of being a disciple and that's why he wrote so much about it. But the question I want to ask you this morning, friends, and for you to consider, is this your experience of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus? Are you someone who is following Jesus? Are you someone who is being changed by Jesus? Are you someone who is joining Jesus in his mission to the world? Also, is this our shared experience as a community? You might think, well, you know, one out of two is not bad, or uh, I was doing, you know, I felt like I was going really well on two of them, and then suddenly, ah. Oh. I don't know what happened. Friends, I know a lot of people, and this is really important, not just for us so that we can flourish as a church, but I know a lot of people who started out following Jesus, just like me. But today they're no longer following him. I'm sure you know people like this. You see, these were people who were attracted to Jesus, people who, who listened to his message, people who even accepted his forgiveness, people who worshipped him, people who even asked him to be their saviour, but have now stopped following him. And so if you're like me, you go, well, what's happened? What, why is that? Why is that? And Matthew says that it happens because people don't go on and become disciples of Jesus. This is why discipleship is so central to what Matthew's on about. It's so central to what Jesus is on about. You see, many people who don't go on to become disciples have, be, have remained static. They, they, don't, they don't follow, they don't change, and they don't join Jesus in his mission to the world. And I don't like being a doom teller, but it's essential for our own maturity for our own uh, ongoing relationship with God, that we become disciples of Jesus as he defines it. Because it's the only way that you're going to mature in Christ and it's the only way that you're not going to fall away. The fact, so there in black and white, if you don't continually orientate yourself to Jesus and follow him, you'll get sidetracked and be orientated to other things that will draw you away. From him, And so this is what Jesus was trying to tell people who, were, who came to him, who said, oh, I'm attracted to you, Jesus. I really am. I really am. I want to follow you. But they couldn't manage to put him first in their lives. And Jesus, in his own words, told them that, that, that their decision would be a sure recipe for disaster if they thought that's what discipleship was. But it's also essential that you seek to be continually changed by Jesus if you want to be found in Christ when we're called to eternity. But changing your life into the likeness of Christ won't just happen automatically without cooperation between you and the Holy Spirit. You're not going to change to be more like Jesus just turning up once or twice for 30 minutes to hear a 30-minute minute minute message on a Sunday. Even if you come four times a month for a 30-minute message on a Sunday, it's not going to do a lot for you. The fact is that people grow when they're fed and when they're nurtured and when they're cared for. And so the best place for that to happen. Being fed and nurtured and cared for is actually not in a church service on a Sunday morning. Sunday mornings are great. I love coming to worship, don't get me wrong. I love being here with you all. But Sundays, you, we don't get deep enough with each other, we don't get deep enough to grow. And if you want to be changed, if you want to be more like Jesus, then you need to hang out more with Jesus and you need to hang out more with Jesus friends who can help you know Jesus more, who can model Jesus for you, who can talk to you and encourage you in the way of the Lord. So that you can be fed and nurtured and encouraged and pray for and so that you can do the same for other people. That's how you grow. We need to be in little greenhouses. The best place for growing into a disciple of Jesus, friends, is in a, with, a, with a small group of people who know and love the Lord Jesus. People who are committed to each other. People who are committed to seeing you mature in Christ. People who are willing to pray for you, who are willing to talk to you, who are willing to listen to you, and the same goes for them, that you are willing to listen and talk to and encourage them as well. It's as simple as that. If you don't want to grow cold in your faith, if you don't want to remain static, but you want to grow and change and join Jesus in his mission to the world, then I want to encourage you to be part of a connect group or a small group that can help you do that. And lastly, if we want to be people who don't grow dry in our faith, we need to join Jesus in his mission to the world. And so the analogy that I want to finish with is of the Dead Sea. If you've ever been to the Dead Sea, it's an incredible place. The Dead Sea is a large body of water that lies in the Rift Valley between Jordan and Israel, and it's fed actually by, by a river, the Jordan River, but it starts high up on the border of Syria and Israel on some snow-capped mountains. And so the water from these mountains flows down in streams into the, the Sea of Galilee, or lake, lake Tiberias, I think it's called now. And that, that lake is fresh. It's fresh water. You catch fish in it. It's all green around it. It's a beautiful place to visit. And so the water then flows down into this lake and then it flows out of the Sea of Galilee into the Jordan River. And the Jordan River is a couple of hundred kilometres long and then it flows down into the Dead Sea. But the Dead Sea doesn't have an outlet to it. All the water that flows into the Dead Sea just remains in the Dead Sea or it evaporates. And all that's left is an extremely salty and lifeless body of water that's unusable for anything except for floating around in if you're a tourist. Friends, some of us, some Christians are like the Dead Sea. They receive plenty of inputs, plenty of fresh input, but they don't have any outlet. they don't have any outlet for that place for their for this fresh input from the lord to go to and so the end result of us too is that we become lifeless as well friends jesus is inviting us today to be a disciple someone who is following him someone who's being changed by him and someone who is joining him in his mission to the world and so the question is what are you going to do with that I want to invite the band to come back. My encouragement is that you take some active steps today to talk to God about this in prayer. To ask God, am I really a disciple? What areas of those three aspects of being a disciple am I struggling with? You might want to talk to one of the Connect group leaders today to ask them how you could join a group. You might even talk to me about how you could join a group or start a group. Because in these groups we can begin to connect with one another around our shared life in Jesus and we can encourage one another to maturity in Christ so that we can be true disciples and true and, and disciple makers. As we sing this last song, I want us to... Make the chorus of this song a personal prayer of invitation. I want, you to, I want us to ask God, by his Spirit, to lead us to places perhaps we've never been before in our relationship with God. To be disciples and disciple makers. But not just individually, but as a, as a corporate community. And so the words of the chorus are these, and I've changed them so that they are Corporate rather than individualistic. The chorus says, Lead us where our trust is without borders, so that we can walk upon the waters where you would call us. Take us deeper than our feet could ever wander, and our faith will be made stronger in the presence of our Saviour. Let's reflect on that as we sing this together. Thanks, Chris.